0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Oh man, there's nothing I love more than cereal. Oh, my favorite childhood cereals. I have such fond memories. Magnolia, what are you doing? Can you please lay me out of this? I'm trying to enjoy my magic spoon cereal. Oh, see, you speak of the devil the devil shall arrive. I was talking about cereal, my seven-year-old daughter enjoying her magic spoon because it tastes as good, if not better, than your favorite childhood cereals. But it's got 14 grams of protein and only four net carbs in each serving. 140 calories? Are you kidding me? It's keto-friendly. It's gluten-free. It's grain-free. It's soy-free. It's low-carb. But what, what, uh, what flavor are you eating? Oh, the Frosted. The Frosted, delicious like every other flavor. There's cookies and cream, maple waffle, cinnamon, uh, cocoa, fruity. It doesn't matter what flavor you choose. They're all delicious. Go to Met. Ma- what? Don't forget the Christmas edition. Oh, that's right. They have the special holiday stuff, the cookies and cream, the maple waffle, a couple others. Mag- thank you. Thank you, Magnolia. Magicspoon.com slash Mikey to grab a custom bundle of cereal from Magic Spoon. You can try it today. Be sure to use the promo code Mikey at checkout. Save $5 off. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at Magicspoon.com slash Mikey and use the promo code M-I-K-E-Y to save yourself $5 off. Uh, How is it, Mags? Amazing. That's what I'm talking about. Lucy is the best. What is Lucy? It's nicotine. Within gum. You heard me correctly. Nicotine is one of the most effective, one of the safest, one of the most beneficial drugs there is. But a lot of us associate nicotine with being negative because of the kind of yucky ways that we usually get nicotine into our body. I'm talking about chewing tobacco or smoking or vaping. Oh, no, 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 no. What the very, very wise people have done at Lucy is they have taken the amazing drug of nicotine and applied it to capsule pouches, to gums, to lozenges all with 4 to 8 milligrams of a very good clinical dose of nicotine, delicious flavors like spearmint, mango, cool cider, and a bunch of others, and they provide it to you in an amazing package, all done up by people who are looking for the best ways to give you an alternative to getting your nicotine and not having to resort to all that negative stuff. Mikey likes you, listeners, go to lucy.co, use the promo code Mikey, Get 20% off your order of Lucy, nicotine, capsule pouches, or any other Lucy products. That's lucy.co. Use the promo code Mikey at checkout. I also have to give you this disclaimer. This product contains non-tobacco nicotine, and nicotine is, in fact, an addictive chemical. Lucy.co. Be sure to use the promo code Mikey. Sports are awesome right now. They're better than ever. And Bet Online also better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before, BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV50. That's BLEAV50. Receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, UFC, it's all right there. Plus your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online, fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Welcome to the Mikey Likes You podcast. I am Mikey Who Likes. You are you who is liked. Uh today is a QA episode. My favorite for a couple reasons. One, they're more downloaded. I get a better response. Win-win. Maybe I should take the feckin' hint. Number two reason is I enjoy interacting. That's what I like. It's what gives me a spark. I I I've worked in improv comedy and did stand-up and all that, and it's fine. And I I'm certainly not good, but for at the level I was at, I had talent, I had ability, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it the way I liked being on the radio. That's what I love because I got the sense that I was having discourse. And although I'm not, it's not as good as maybe having you right here in front of me for us to chop it up. Uh, it's almost as good. I put out the bat signal for you to give me questions. I give you answers. So let's get to it. Quin Quinchy 13. How do I build up the right side of my body? I lost my right arm, part of my chest. What the fuck? I lost my right arm shoulder part of my chest six months ago god i'm sorry man that's terrible left side is getting stronger again i can see the difference in my left chest compared to my right side um okay i don't know how to answer that because maybe it was in the wording but it i thought you you lost your chest and your shoulder and arm um if, if it's just over development of one side compared to the other which is common it happens um I have found a lot of success both in my training and then also giving this advice to other people to work in a fashion where you're not necessarily going to be able to do a lot of barbell work uh, because of the obvious reasons. You can't do unilateral exercises with a barbell, at least on the upper body. You could do, you know, lunges and whatnot with a barbell on your back. But um, for, for the moment, let's talk upper body. I want you to do things where you keep one limb completely flexed and in the contracted position throughout the entire rep of the other limb going through the motion of the rep. Uh, the Reeves row, which I did a video tutorial for. It's on my YouTube page. Check it out. is a great example. So instead of doing... A regular barbell row where you just, or excuse me, a regular dumbbell row where you just keep one arm down. Keep this arm completely contracted in the upright position and do a rep with this arm. Then, when they're both contracted, you go with the opposite hand. This one stays contracted and vice versa. Now, imagine doing the same thing with a dumbbell chest press, okay? You can keep them both contracted out in the upright position. Really squeeze your chest. Right side, left side. While one limb is training, the other one remains flexed and in the contracted position, really working the contraction of the exercise. Um, this has been huge for balancing out these, these, these overwhelming imbalances that come with both muscle size and strength. Um, and, and everyone has to deal with it at some point. But though incorporating those exercises into your training um, I found to be a great fix for that kind of crit. Denny Stock. In the middle of a my second cycle of 5-3-1, making great progress and feeling very strong, but more sore this week than normal, a little achy. I'm doing mobility stuff and trigger point sessions, but still pretty tight. Plow through week number three, or drop a deload week in in the middle and come back to where I left off next week thanks Uh, a good question and it's something that i think people deal with uh, this kind of overwhelming strange soreness that you encounter sometimes the 531 protocol uh, designed made famous by jim wendler a very smart guy 531 protocol something i recommend it's a great transition from five by five which is something that i tell everyone to start out with and uh, it's great even for advanced lifters to go back to and kind of work fundamentals but the five, three, one is is a linear progression, which is pretty much the basis of all successful programs. Um, when you're varying the weight, when you're undulating the weight, and you're and you're varying the rep ranges, um, soreness is gonna be kind of off kilter. It's gonna come out of nowhere sometimes. Um, the higher volume stuff, the five rep range, it's gonna it's going to cause a lot more muscle soreness than say you know the three rep range or the one rep range but this is something that has to come from you and you have to be able to identify what type of sore you are um, anybody out there who's practiced combat sports of any kind especially grappling wrestling judo or jujitsu you know there's that's a way different sore your neck and shit all all wrenched out and your your elbow from someone trying to arm bar you that kind of sore is different than muscle soreness from high volume squatting you know where you're just like, oh my muscles hurt I can hardly walk. That kind of soreness is not something that you should necessarily deload from. If your body is aching in your connective tissue in, in, in some way that is not the muscle tissue, That's something that you should definitely identify and probably scale back your training or train around, because that is, by all practical definitions, an injury. Um, And it's it's hard sometimes, but the type of soreness that comes from like heavy compound lifting, you know, where you get like a sore lower back or you get uh, sore knees from squatting, that's something that you have to take much more of a deep and, and focused care of than something like your muscles being sore. Your muscles being sore is going to come from hypertrophy training. And if you don't like that, sorry, then try not having muscles. Um, but but systemic soreness or achiness is, is a completely different thing, and that's not necessarily something that you want to kind of train through or even look to deload. That's something you want to identify because that's a development of – an injury, there's dysfunction there, either in your form or in muscle, muscular imbalance. So, really, I, I think that it's hard for me to give you clear cut advice when I you have to make that decision and understand what you're dealing with. Um, how to start developing a very weak low back and core from Johnny Sarti? Well, it's a good question, Johnny Sarti. Strength. And stability within the core, what is called the core, which is kind of a stupid terminology, but it, you know your obliques, your abdominals, and your lower back, your erect, your erectors, um, development of strength in those areas, development of stability, is going to be different than say how someone trains a, a physique competitor trains to get six pack abs. The best thing you can do for strength and stability and injury prevention in the core region is going to be things that are what are called the anti-movements. Why are they the anti-movements? Because unlike, say, a flexion movement, like a sit-up, a crunch, right? You're flexing that area. You want to work things that are anti-flexion, where a force is trying to get you to flex it, but you're preventing it from doing so. Anti-flexion. Um, things like a, <coughs> excuse me, things like a, uh, ab wheel. Ab wheel is excellent. Things like bird dogs, um, things like planks, um, band presses where the tension is coming from the side, but you're holding it out in front of you and using your abs to prevent it from anti, that's called anti-rotation. Instead of rotating, you're, you're preventing it from the force from rotating you. These are the things where, that help develop stability, strength, injury prevention, and what most people think of when they say, how do I develop strength in my core? You have a weak lower back, you have weak abs, and that is common, and it's, far, it's actually very far too common. Look to the McGill Big Three. Dr. Stuart McGill developed these, and they're three exercises that you can't, you could can just do them all the live long day. And... Um, Go ahead, Google that This The McGill Big Three And just hammer those A side plank uh, A bird dog And um, I, I, I'm struggling um, I believe it's some type of curl up But those things Are going to help develop Real stability and strength In the, in the Core region Now, there is a difference And I've talked about this in, in past shows There's a difference between Training for a six pack And training for core strength And you have to kind of Um, understand the difference between the two because there are people with incredibly strong cores that are fat fucks that have no abs. they they don't have visible abs. i used to train with this armenian guy in jiu-jitsu who was a judo black belt as well and he if he took his shirt off at the beach you would not think that this guy had any sizable strength at all any form of strength but if he got a hold of you, you were Foxville, and I could not move this guy. And he was probably around my size, maybe a little smaller. And I'm a proportionally very strong person. I couldn't budge this fucking guy, and he was so strong. He had the strongest core, and he was just so developed at the anti movements and also things like Turkish get-ups and and uh, all these things that aren't gonna. They're not the things you're gonna see these fitness models doing to develop to carve out their abs. But they are developing actual strength in the core, okay? So look into that, and the McGill Big Three is a great place to start. And when it comes to, like, visible abs, if that's what you're actually referring to, if that's what you're looking for, just understand, that's all diet, okay? You ever see, like, Iggy Pop or or a homeless person, and they have shredded abs or, like, uh, an old painting of Jesus? okay. That's not from, from from the gym. That's because they have low, low body fat levels is what creates the the pleasing visual of six-pack abs. Okay? They are made in the kitchen. There are certainly things you can do to, to make them a little bit more visible, to, to create hypertrophy in the abs and make them more kind of uh, prominent. But when it comes to, like, if you're a dude or a chick out there and you're like, I just want a six-pack... It's diet Get that shit together Because you could do sit-ups all the live long day If you're eating donuts and Chipotle uh, you're, you're never going to have one Okay Los Bad GT 40 year old dad with 4 kids And 10 years and under Work full time Latino Rudy is my cousin I'm 5'8 Walk around at 208 What's the best workout for my age No gym time But sometime at home I just want to look good like I was in my twenties. On my Patreon I have a bodyweight only home workout that you could do anywhere, any place. One of the biggest factors with bodyweight training, which I think is exceptional, and don't overlook how valuable bodyweight training can be. But one of the things that people mess up is that they don't train their lower body. They overtrain things like push ups and they don't factor in strength so just work on progression with body weight movements the bulgarian split squat push-up row if you can get a chin-up bar you know around the house that would be exceptional because chin-ups and pull-ups are fantastic um the body weight squat really work on those and and progress in them don't just be i did 20 today i'm gonna do 20 tomorrow I, you know people do that they do that. i did i do 20 sit-ups and 50 pull-ups every day and it's like well, great there is a law of diminishing returns because there has to be some level of progression and once you get to progressing with reps it can get to the point where you're you're just training that exercise you're not going to get any sizable metabolic boost you're not going to get any strength um benefit from that um so walk every day get your steps in get 10,000 steps a day it's just a great market it's not the end all be all but it is a great kind of set point to at least make sure that you're moving enough okay and then three days a week or six days a week work a really well thought out really good progression with body weight movements it doesn't have to take long but if you can do 20 minutes a day believe me you can hammer out and make some serious gains and then also Let's not kid ourselves. More of it than anything is just diet. A 40-year-old guy with four kids and a full-time job, four little kids, the reality is, is that your diet is probably all fucked up. And I understand it. I get that. I understand why it would be. You have a lot on your plate. It's not exactly easy to weigh out your food and do all that. But if you really want to do something... You know, and his last line is here. I just want to look good like I was in my 20s. Well, newsflash, if you want, you're in your, you're 40 years old. If you want to look like you're in your 20s, you got to carve out some gym. Eventually, you're going to have to figure out how to get to the gym, to lift weights, to do some serious resistance training. But it doesn't mean you can't start now with bodyweight training at home. And you're going to have to start eating right. You're going to have to really understand your caloric set point point how much calories you need to just get by in the day. You're going to have to find a good caloric deficit, up your protein, and you're going to have to train at the very least three days a week of resistance training, solid focused resistance training where you're monitoring exactly how much reps and how much time under tension there is and and progress. So there it is, man. Difference in meal timing for carb cycling for morning and evening workouts. Uh, would you recommend incorporating intermittent fasting into this from Eddie's Fitness Journey? when I There's many costumes that carb cycling can take on. But the reality is, is that carb cycling, there's value to it. But if you're going to talk about the difference between morning and evening training, I'm assuming you're talking about carb cycling in a daily fashion where you're taking carbs out from a portion of the day and then putting them around the workout which is which is a, a wise thing to do but there's also carb cycling like, like traditional carb cycling and what most people think of when they hear those words is days of lower carbohydrates and days targeted days of higher carbohydrates but if you're doing it in the daily fashion you just want to have the bullest of your carbohydrates if not all of it around your workout 30% of it pre-workout and 70% of it post. Um, And that, to me, doesn't really matter if you're training at night or in the morning. Always try to get your carbs around your workout if you're at other times of the day or other times of the week pulling carbs out. If you're eating a balanced diet where you you don't have a a differential between your carbohydrate um, distribution, don't worry about it. There's been way too much made about, you know, pre workout, post workout, uh, intro workout timing of carbohydrates. The reality is, is if your calories are the right, at the right place, your, uh, protein is at the right place, it doesn't end up meaning anything in the long run. Lane Norton just put up a study about how if people were to, <coughs> excuse me, if people were to just ingest protein post workout, um, they got the same results as people who did protein and carbohydrates combined. And so much was made about, oh, you got to spike the insulin after a workout, and that's when you're most sensitive to the glycogen, and it's, it goes in the muscles. I, I'm sure there's some scientific value to that. But the reality is, is, when is like why make yourself crazy over stuff that does not matter? Science shows it doesn't matter. So just make sure that your protein is intact, and that you're getting the right amount of calories to either lose weight or gain weight, and uh, things will work out in the end. Any pros and cons to drinking above-average amounts of caffeine during the day, in relation to building muscle and overall mass? E.g., at least five cups of coffee per day. From Andrew Brager, um, caffeine is a great drug. It's the wonder drug. It's the best drug on earth. I I stand by that because the upside versus the downside. If you look at it just objectively, caffeine is the best. Um, not only does it give you in- energy, it stimulates you cognitively. Ugh, I just burped. But um, a lot of people don't understand that glycogen reuptake or, or or refueling yourself after a workout is also aided greatly by caffeine. Um, High level athletes, especially ones that are training numerous times a day, will have caffeine with their post-workout meal on un- as well as their pre-workout meal. Um, So caffeine is great. Caffeine has a lot of benefits for the athlete, both in fat loss and in muscle gain. The only negative I can think of when it comes to caffeine, uh, there's two of them. One is if you get your caffeine from coffee, which also has its own specific unique benefits when it comes to metabolic health and things like that. I love coffee. It's a health food. But lots of coffee can fuck your stomach up. Okay, so that's one negative you have to look out for. And then the obvious one is sleeplessness. So make sure you're cutting out your caffeine close, far enough away from your bedtime so that it doesn't interrupt your sleep. Because sleep is more important than almost anything else. Yes, it is that important. Okay, it does make that much of a difference. Both for the dieting and for the gaining athlete. Both for performance and for your physique. Sleep is that important. So... I understand caffeine's awesome. I'm a caffeine addict. I fucking love caffeine. Love it. Take a shit ton. But you have to on the if you're putting it on the scales, sleep wins out. So just make sure that you're getting all the benefits of caffeine but not compromising your sleep. So cut out the caffeine at at the at least 5 hours prior to bedtime. And uh if it's more or less depending on your own personal Reaction to caffeine. I, I mean, I do know those people that can drink coffee at 10 o'clock at night and fall asleep at 11, no problem. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not. I'm not skilled enough or studied enough in science to tell you like, well, yeah, just go ahead. If if it works for you, fine. I just know that most Homo sapiens need to cut out that caffeine. Um. In a in a big enough window so that it doesn't compromise your sleep. So those are the only two real downsides to caffeine and a lot of hippie fuckers like to go around saying shit about caffeine that just isn't true it's just scientifically not true same with whey protein say there's so much fucking nonsense that gets thrown around and i'm 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 sympathetic to you because most of us are not scientists most of us don't have a deep working knowledge of human metabolism or the chemical reactions and cellular activity of the human body. So when you see some dude in a lab coat or some chick who has a great physique tell you something, it's pretty easy to just go, Oh my God, I guess whey protein is toxic. I, uh, caffeine uh, it deteriorates my adrenal glands. Fuck that. No, 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 no. But it does prevent you from sleeping well. So take that in consideration. Mm, OG Mike Hunt. <laughs> oh, Mike Hunt. <laughs> neutral versus underhand chin-up versus wide-grip pull-ups. I train neutral almost exclusively. Is that a mistake? If so, isn't a negligible... Is it... Isn't a negligible... Oh, come on. Come on, people with the fucking spelling. Is it a negligible mistake or a big mistake? I need to change. Um, it's not, no, there's, there's benefit and there's, there's not, there's not negatives to different grips when it comes to pull-ups and chin-ups. There's just disadvantages and advantages. Um, a chin-up is going to be your strongest position, you know, hands facing you. It's your strongest position. That's why I prefer it. I also get a better range of motion. Um, but you are taken away from certain parts of your lats that you could hit with a wider grip chin, or excuse me, a wider grip pull-up. Um, The best thing you could do is do all of them. But the neutral grip is amazing. It's an amazing compromise between the two because you do get bicep involvement. You can be a little stronger than you are with your palms facing out. And it uh, is safer. It's safer on the shoulders and the elbows. If that's your jam, don't worry about it. It is absolutely negligible because if you can continue doing it, it doesn't cause you any pain. It doesn't cause you any discomfort. It doesn't give you any type of... um, dysfunction when it comes to the movement pattern you're still getting that movement pattern that that vertical pulling go for it neutral grip it all the way um let's see hand position during dumbbell overhead press from okay fuck that it's a good name good for you try to mimic barbell with palms facing front or so palms facing ears or come the fuck on people Just write normal sentences. Try to mimic barbell with palms facing front. Okay, I got that part. Or so palms facing ears, question mark? Eat my ass! Or rotate as you press up. For some reason, I'm finding palms facing ears easier, and I'm thinking I might be able to progress faster with that hand position. Thanks. Um if it's easier on you much like with that last question with pull-ups and chin-ups you're going to encounter some some people just have a body a makeup your the the width of your bones the length of your bones prior injuries whatever it may be certain things are going to hurt and certain things aren't if you're getting that movement and you're progressing in it that's all that matters and find the way that doesn't hurt overhead pressing I don't think there's really all that much difference. When it comes to hypertrophy, I think that there is benefit to the Arnold press where you're going to twist. You'll have palms facing you at the bottom, palms facing away way at the top, at, named after that Arnold, yes, not Arnold Drummond from different strokes, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But certain angles of holding your hand are going to create pain, for some people. And so go with the one that is most comfortable. And as this person with the unpronounceable name put it, go with the one that you feel like you could progress the most on. Because as long as you're getting that movement pattern, this movement pattern being the overhead uh, the vertical push, go with the one that's going to create less pain, makes you less prone to injury, and also makes you more capable of progressing. Can you answer the question why traditional diets don't work? Well, it's because you can't fight a a biology problem with willpower. Calibrate makes it all different. It's a comprehensive doctor-guided metabolic reset that promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. Calibrate works because they combine prescribed FDA-approved medication with lifestyle changes to improve metabolic health. It's a fully integrated program that includes classes, one-on-one video coaching, in-app tracking, Community with members like you, all wrapped up, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, all wrapped up into one amazing package. They provide comprehensive wellness plan uh, that's personalized to your needs so it's easy to fit. Calibrate into your busy schedule. Check in with the app as often or as little as you'd like. All of the goals you set are personalized and tracked by doctors and coaches. Your weight doesn't reflect your willpower. Trust me. Get back in control with Calibrate. Get $50 off with one year. Metabolic Resets when you use the promo code BLEAV, that's BLEAV, at joincalibrate.com. That's $50 off when you use the code BLEAV at joincalibrate.com. Ranger Ramon, Ranger Ramon, from one meathead to another, do meatheads get a bad rap? I do, yes, yes, that's a good question, yes. I think meatheads get a bad rap in the same way that any kind of trope gets a bad rap because people automatically go to the negative Aspect, whatever that negative aspect of a stereotype or a trope is, and then they proliferate that to be to be what all people are, and they always uh, meatheads are vain, meatheads are uh, meatheads are dumb, and the reality is like meatheads are just people who like to fucking pump iron, uh, and most often that means like it's someone who wants to take care of themselves, it's someone who likes exposing themselves to voluntary discomfort for the betterment of themselves overall. And uh, I I think that they do get a bad rap. Not all meatheads are just dumb, vain lugheads. Um, it's just like, uh, like, I lived in Jersey for a while, right? Um, and I met so many guidos. Like, legit fucking rock driving, G, uh, gym tan laundry guidos, right? Super Italian. As soon as I met them, they're like, you gotta come over. My grandma makes the best... Macaroni. She has the best sauce in all of fucking all of uh, New Jersey. They were full on Guidos. I love those guys. They were the nicest people I encountered. But everyone, when they hear Guido, they think of like, uh, dumb. They beat women. <laughs> you know, like they take all the negative aspects of a very small segment of said trope or what a said kind of identity, and they and they and they just. Explode that and make a glittering generalization. You know the same it goes for you know from happens all the time in L.A. People they they there's these like pompous, vapid celebrities and they're like you're from Los Angeles. Oh, you're part of them Hollywood. I was like that's like 0.01 percent of the millions and millions of people in L.A. or Southern California for that matter. Um, so don't you know don't make I now I moved to Texas. Everybody here is not uh, is not like some angry Uber right wing redneck. You know, they're just Texans. You know that you, you can't you can't take one negative stereotype that's associated with a a, a, a group and their identity, and then ext- extrapolate that to mean that that's the way everybody is. Um, and so there you go. I probably a little deeper answer to. Do meatheads get a bad rap than you were expecting? I really have a hard time burning my belly fat. I am 5'11 and 207. Uh, And regardless of what low-carb diet protocol and fasting regimen I follow, I still can't seem to get rid of it. I believe it is mostly the result of genetics. Nope. And my caloric intake. Yep. But I wonder if the dietary protocol makes a difference as far as which macros do you think I should follow fucking people? A low carb protocol, uh, do you think this doesn't matter? Yes, I don't know. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, and I, oh my God, my dog started me crazy. I'm back. I'm bad. Your belly fat, which most people complain about, you know, I, I, I've i lost so fill in the blank amount of pounds. I've gotten a lot of compliments on how my arms and chest look, and but I can't seem to lose that belly fat it's not genetics, it's not the diet protocol you're following, it's the fact that that's the last to go. And I know I've said this a million times, but it it bears repeating over and over again. You're not failing, you're not doing something wrong, it's not your genetics. Genetics play a factor. Yes, the distribution of body fat in your body, you know, some people have more body fat here and there. There is a genetic component. But you, at 5'11", 207, and I'm assuming you're not a NFL uh, wide receiver, so that 511207s 207's probably you're probably fat. You still have weight to lose. You're not fat. You're you're still overweight. You're by no means fat. 5'11, 207s, eleven two oh seven. You're you're just you're a normal dude. But you, you you're fat. The fact that you can't lose your belly fat, it has nothing to do with what diet protocol or your genetics. It's you need to continue to be in a caloric deficit longer. You need to resistance train. You need to continue to try to boost your metabolic health while you are losing body fat. (coughs) Losing the area for men, losing the area around the midsection for women from the kind of belly button down to below the booty. That is going to be the last to go and it is always the last to go. And it is not, you are not unique. You are not a... Genetic snowflake, there's nothing wrong with you. You just got to continue going harder. There is a... It is misguided, but there is a reason why the six-pack is so coveted. Because just eat better, get in a caloric deficit somehow. Just eat less and train. You will lose weight. and You will look better, okay? You will. But to get lean enough to have six-pack abs... That takes that extra level of commitment because genetically it is the last to go for biological reasons, not because of your specific genetics, the genetics of human beings. For the warmth and function of organs, that is the last to go. So, Cialos 85, you're doing it right. Find the diet and the macro distribution that is best for you to sustain a diet. If that means high-fat, low-carb, do it. If that's what makes it easier and more sustainable for you to continue going, because you're going to have to keep going longer, then do that. If the idea of not eating fruit and rice and bread is fucking insane, then look to a more balanced distribution of your macronutrients. All that matters is that your protein is high and your calories are in a deficit. It doesn't matter. In the words of the great rock, it doesn't matter. Just stay the course. Continue doing what you're doing. Don't do lots of crazy cardio. That will make it harder for you, especially in the belly fat area. Diet reasonably with high protein and a small caloric deficit. Pump iron. Like a, like a real G, and just don't be in any hurry because it doesn't happen fast. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying that to encourage you, my friend. Let's see here. Phil Goff, second. Using hydrolyzed whey since regular and isolate give me stomach churn, lactose intolerant. Tastes like ass covered in dog hair soaked with gasoline, but stomach feels great. Any suggestions to mask the flavor? How about don't have a protein shake? You uh, people make it out to seem like it's man. Well, I it tastes like ass. What did you say? It tastes like ass covered in dog hair soaked with gasoline. So don't have protein shakes. Eat fucking steak and salmon like I do. Is there some value to whey protein? Sure, sure. Fuck yeah, Co- uh, collagen protein. Sure, fuck yeah, yeah, great. But nothing that real food doesn't take care of. Protein shakes are simple. They're just supplemental protein. There's nothing special about them. The reason it's become attached to the world of fitness athletes, be it bodybuilders, fitness models, whatever, is because of marketing and because it's difficult to get a lot of protein sometimes, especially if you have a job. Now, when you're talking about bodybuilders and fitness models, you're talking about a fucking crazy level of protein, and they're having to do it numerous times a day. And so eating that much chicken and steak and turkey, or if you're a vegan, lentils and you fill in the blank is oftentimes can be downright inconvenient and just gets to be overwhelming. It's cumbersome. So protein shakes solved that for a lot of people, but they are by no means necessary. They are by no means crucial and they're by no means beneficial. Stan Everding is a guy I trust about as much as anyone in this industry. He's jacked as fuck and he always says, shakes are for fakes. Eat steaks. I, I only have protein shakes when it's a, a last-ditch effort. And I really commit myself to, like, looking and feeling my best. I I eat... My protein comes from animals. You know? And if you're choking down a protein shake because you're like, I just feel like I have, don't do that. Find something you love eating, like tuna or, or steak. I, I mean, if you don't like eating steak and chicken, then I, I don't. Then maybe this isn't for you. Or if you're, or if you're vegan, I, if you don't like eating lots and lots of lentils and, uh, you know, listen. I, I actually, I take that back. Vegans. I think that there almost is a, a need to have uh, supplemental protein because you want to keep the protein high enough but so many plant-based proteins that you find with real food are, are so fibrous and they're oftentimes filled with healthy natural fats and things like that things like nuts right um, and, and legumes and and beans and things are so fibrous that if you were to get the 250 grams of protein or something that you would need for a larger guy, now you're fucked. And you're shitting all day and you have gas and you're bloated. So I do think like a good pea protein, rice protein for a vegan, that does look, fall into the category of of almost essential. But for someone who's not vegan, just, just don't have protein shakes. Because I'm with you. Like hydrolyzed protein, although it, it, it's great, it's easy on the stomach, it's, it, it's not... Tasty. So don't fucking do it. This is from GD GDAG Boss. For a skinny fat person, what caloric intake do you recommend? Deficit or maintenance? I feel like my body could have some definition, but is covered by a layer of fat. My workouts consist only of strength training, no cardio. Alex Rice is the program I'm currently following. I'm not familiar with Alex Rice. Um, it sounds like you're you're on the right path. If you're skinny fat, yeah, you need a deficit. Um, because the second word in skinny fat is fat. You need to lose body fat. Loss of body fat is almost always the paramount thing that men need to do. Unless you're that like that guy... Unless you're, a couple things here. Unless you're in your teens or early 20s and you're that guy, you know who I'm talking about, where you're like just so skinny and there's nothing you could do to put on weight. There's, I bulking is stupid. Who the fuck needs to bulk? Okay? It's, It's silly. If you're some type of, athlete where overall size and mass is imperative. Obviously, this doesn't count for you. If you're a high school uh you know, lineman, football lineman and you're looking at colleges, yeah, okay, I understand. If you're a competitive bodybuilder, fine. But even the competitive bodybuilder shouldn't be bulking unless they're shredded. The average dude, most of us who want to look better, body fat reduction And I didn't say weight loss. I said body fat loss. Body fat reduction is absolutely the number one thing you need to do. And body fat reduction does not come with a surplus of calories. And even maintenance for someone who's quote unquote skinny fat is it's not going to get the job done. There are times and places where if you, you should go to maintenance... And maybe even a slight surplus when you're talking about like getting down to the point where you've gotten legit shredded, I mean, you know, sub 10% body fat. That's when you start looking into these these moderate, these really well, well monitored surpluses. But for the most part, deficit is what you need to be looking for. And a small one. But I don't like to say, say oh, fine maintenance because for two reasons. One, most people don't know what that is and they end up, eating too much because they assume maintenance is something that it's just not. And the other thing is is that although I, I've always preached the idea of don't chase quick results because it's not sustainable, true, but if you, if you get to the point where you're trying to eat at quote unquote maintenance, then the results will come so unbelievably slow that you'll end up burning yourself out and you'll give up. So you have to find some level of deficit when it comes to body fat reduction. Don't make it too big because muscle preservation is paramount when it comes to body fat reduction. Muscle gain is not the number one thing we're looking at here. We're looking at body fat reduction. What does that mean? It means reducing the body fat on your the adipose tissue that you carry while maintaining or slightly gaining some level of muscle mass. So you don't want to go into these 600... Uh, calorie deficits because then you're screwed then you're just gonna become more skinny fat I like the idea that you're not looking to cardio a well well constructed program of linear progression with resistance training and a small caloric deficit start with 300 and and stay there find it and monitor it be good with it don't like I've've been great except for the last three days I did have you know some Turkey, uh, I had turkey and mashed potatoes, you know, but that doesn't it's the holidays, but I've been, oh, I've totally been following my diet because there's no, you have to be really adherent to a diet for you to understand whether or not it's working. 300 calories. And if that's not cutting it, if you're, if you're not losing a half a pound or a pound a week, um, you have not cut enough. Go another 200. Um, If you're not losing any weight, you know you need to cut more. If you're gaining weight, obviously you need to cut a considerable amount more. So that's how you got to do it. There's no way, and I know that there is equations to try to give you the right amount of calories to take in. It's just nothing is as effective or successful as just staying at a caloric set point for a couple weeks and seeing if it works for you. Gauging what happens, looking at those results, and then altering it from there. Oh, here we go. Trey thinks, what do you do if your workout partner is in a bulk and you're in a cut? How would you handle this situation? It's a really good question because workout partners can be so valuable, right? So you don't – but they're like – it's like trying to start a band. You can't – it's not like dime or dozen where you just have all these people at your disposal to just rifle through. If you find a good workout partner – oftentimes you have to just deal with what you got. If it's someone that's consistent and it's someone that is accountable. First thing I would ask is, I just got through talking about how, really talk to this guy. like like, you need to be bulking. If he or she is fat, have a serious talk with them. It's like, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should, uh, but if not, if if he or she is has a legitimate need to be putting on some muscle mass, fine there's not too much difference in what you need to be doing when it comes to leaning bulking and and leaning out with training in comparison to what there needs to be with diet so if you have an accountable partner there is some things that you know that could be of benefit to your partner when bulking and slightly of benefit to you when leaning out in the gym yes I, I, I there is some things but overall most of the actual difference comes from how you eat so I do think that if you if it's someone that really does help you train hard it's someone that is accountable it's worth just sticking to the sticking to it have a plan where you could be in linear progression and train with that person but the way that you guys eat is going to be different because when it comes to leaning and bulking honestly the, there's there's just slight tweaks when it comes to rep ranges and things like that training frequency sure but there's there's a huge chasm when it comes to eating so let him eat how he wants to eat and you eat how you want to eat and uh, get after it you know because i do think that overall the the idea of having a, an accountable workout partner that you enjoy working out with is more important than being exactly on the same page you know lockstep with each other uh i love everyone thank you for the questions um remember that i have uh space on my top tier i have space on all of my tiers on patreon go to mike catherwood on patreon and i'm there um but the top tier is where i i'm there for you like personally to help you with your diet customized training programs and diet programs and i'm at your disposal to help with any questions you may have because this is all can be kind of confusing and uh, I love doing it, so that is an option, and I do have spaces available, thank you to all my sponsors, thank you to all the listeners, thank you to all the people who are already uh, patrons on my Patreon, I really appreciate it, thank you, and in this crazy mixed-up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do, be good people.